hear the words of the living God for you this morning. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, So when I was in college, I was a history major, still a big history buff. Uh, When I was in college, I had this amazing class uh, on World War II, um, and it was just like a riveting class. Any other history nerds in this room would have loved it. It's like it was a, the professor was a great lecturer, and I just like loved reading some of these memoirs from like from soldiers who'd fought on the front lines. It was just so riveting. Thinking of my own grandfather who fought in the Philippines, um, and when I was like I was 19 or 20 years old at the time, I was having a conversation with um, a friend of mine who was a guy who meant, who really mentored me in the faith in college, and I I was just like so engrossed with that generation and all they had to go through. And I, 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 told, I told my friend, I was like, ah, I just, uh, in my youthful naivete, I was like, ah, I wish, I just wish our generation, I just wish we had like some great cause to fight for, you know, to send us around the world uh, to fight like an empire of evil. And uh, my friend, like, wiser than me, kind of like dressed me down in a moment and was like, you realize we like have that, right? Uh, like in the in the gospel and what we have in, in Christ and like we're called to something big, far bigger than world than even your what you're learning about in your class, and it was like this kind of like humbling dressing down moment for me in my like youthful naivete. As youthful and and silly for a number of reasons, like wish for something as horrific as a world war. Like anyone who anyone who was in that generation would have called me foolish. Um, and it's and it was it was a really like a dressing down revealing moment. For me, um, because it, it's even though I was raised in the faith and my parents were incredibly diligent in teaching me, and uh, I went to healthy churches that taught me to, in the ways of the Lord and taught me about how my life is about more than than this. It's, it showed that I, at my core, like I kind of had consumed this kind of I think default understanding in our culture that we're ultimately here for just fulfilling our desires, right? Ultimately, that's, that's, that's why we're here, is that we're here to, uh, to set up things in our life. We, go to a, we live in a certain place. We go to a certain kind of school, or then we get a certain kind of education, get a certain kind of job, ultimately to get things that we want. Um, and the good life is the life where your desires are fulfilled. Eventually, eventually, at some unknown point, you reach these things, you get what you want, and your life is fulfilled. And me as like a college student, I was like looking at that and you know doing writing essays on my computer, and I was like, it seems kind of lame in comparison to like going and fighting a world war. Um, and it's and of course, like I said, I was young, I was naive. War is terrifying. The golden generation would have scoffed at me um, for thinking that. But you could can you see why in a in a cultural moment where like the ultimate purpose of human existence is to have our desires fulfilled whether it be financially or professionally or um, in family life or sexually, whatever it may be, that like that ultimate vision 
it's, it just leaves you wanting something more. It just doesn't, it doesn't fill you. Like, there isn't, you have to ask, like, I was asking the question as, like, a young kid. I was, a, you know, with a kid-like thought, that is. It's like, is this really all there is? Humans need to live for something meaningful, not just getting inwardly what we want. And also, like, that, the, having your desires fulfilled as a way, as, like, the purpose of life, it's, like, it's really inward-focused. People need to, actually, humans need to live for something meaningful. They need to live on a mission for something greater than themselves, outside of themselves, greater than just having our desires fulfilled. Um, and my, even though it was silly, my like adolescent desire for something greater kind of revealed that. Um, in this passage that we just read, this is really like the identity stamp in a lot of ways for the people of Israel, for the people of God, for us as the church. In this passage we just read, to be called to be a kingdom of priests, um, God is t- calling his people to, to a life of something more Something more than just having their desires fulfilled. Something else, something above them, something outside of them. Something that's a mission. Um, He's calling them to live as a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Um, And I'm going to be talking a lot about priests today. Uh, What are priests? It's not probably something we think about too often. Um, Priests, basically a short version of what priests are. Priests stand in the middle between the heavens and the earth. Uh, Moses is receiving this. This, these word from, this word from God on a mountain, which is quite literally between the heavens and the earth. Priests, uh, they, yeah, they stand between God and the world. And, and this is what, the, what humans are supposed to be, what humans are supposed to do. Adam, when he was created at the beginning, we, we studied this in Genesis a, a few months ago, he, we were created to be priests, these, these, this intermediary between uh, the world around us and God. And priests do a lot of things in the Old Testament. They offer sacrifices. They guard holy spaces. Uh, They monitor the boundaries between what's holy and common or what's clean and unclean. Uh, They teach people the law. They bless bless the people, which is to say they they pronounce, they they put the name of God on the people, uh, which is what we do in our benediction every every week. But to like boil it down into two points about what priests do and what we're called to be as a kingdom of priests, what God's calling his people here in this passage, people of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. So he's calling calling them to present God to the world and to present the world to God. And as we dig into this idea of being a kingdom of priests, presenting God to the world, presenting the world to God, I think we'll find that God's calling us to live more, not live desires that are about, live, for a, live a life that's more than just fulfilling our desires. Meaningful lives with an outward fo- focus and an upward focus that isn't, instead of just focusing inwards, in the lives of mission. Uh, so before I get into those two points about presenting God to the world and presenting the world to God, it's worth saying, first off, in this passage, that like this priestly life, the life God is calling his people to here in this passage, it's really God-centered. It comes from God, and it's directed toward God. Look with me again at, at this passage. Note how often God refers to himself in this passage. Verse 4, he says, You yourselves have seen what I did, God says how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Lots of eyes, me, myself, mine. Verse 5, if you obey my voice, you will be my treasured possession. For all the earth is mine, he says. Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. All that we're going to be talking about today, this calling to be a kingdom of priests that God's giving these people here and that he gives us as the church 
Um, you have to begin by, by noting that it, it's from God and it's about God and that our destiny is in God. God starts, the, where this is in the book of Exodus is this is like right at like a turning point in the book of Exodus. So all the chapters uh, before this, most of the chapters before this are about God uh, rescuing his people out of the land of Egypt. Perhaps in Sunday school you remember the, le- the stories about the ten plagues um, and the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea. The Israelites, this is in chapter 19, the Israelites had cra- crossed through the Red Sea in chapter 14, had sung a big praise song in chapter 15, were already complaining by the end of chapter 15. Um, and this, now they've been brought out, they've been saved, and God's about to give them the law, which is to teach them how to be a people who live for, live for him, live in his name, live as a kingdom of priests. Um, but this is, this sentence, these sentences are kind of like the thesis statement for who the people of Israel are. You can say it's like almost a thesis statement for who the people of Israel are through the rest of the Old Testament. Um, and God starts by reminding them, remember from where, where you came from, how I bore you out of Egypt on eagle's wings. I was the one who brought you out in spite of all the things that were said against you. All the, th- all the th- ways that getting out of Egypt seemed impossible. He's reminding the Israelites um, that he rescued them from, sav- from slavery. That's what, what they were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were building storehouses for an oppressive king. Not, he didn't save Israel because they were a strong people, because they were a numerous people, um, because they were um, a glamorous people. Uh, he didn't even save the Israelites because they were a holy people. Um, like I said, at the end of chapter, by the end of chapter 15, after the waters are divided, the people of Israel are already complaining. They're already saying, God's brought us out here to die. <laughs> They're already not trusting him. This is not a holy people who are being given this call to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, God, is call, God saved them. God called them out, brought them out of Egypt um, because he's keeping his promises to their forefathers. This is the origin story of the people of Israel. This is our origin story. And the, the Christian word for, we have for this is, is grace. The word you've probably, you've probably heard before. It's just that God saves us. He sets us. He gives us uh, an identity as a people. He knits us together as a people. Not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. Not because we were holy, um, but so that in him we may become holy. The Israelites and us, they don't, they don't get to like make a meaning for themselves. They don't get to set an identity for themselves. That is given to them from God. He is their origin story. He is the place from whence they start. And he's also the place to which they are going. He's the one to whom they are going. Uh, he, you know, the, the, their destiny is to belong to him, to be his treasured possession. God is their origin and their destiny. So with that backdrop, let's talk about what... Uh, the, the two points are for being a kingdom of priests, presenting God to the world and presenting the world uh, to God. Um, and by, by presenting, it's, I'm trying to ca- capture a lot of things in this idea of like presenting. It's representing God to the world or bringing God to the world in some ways. Each of these, words, each of these verbs kind of fall short of what we're called to do. It's um, how, do we, how do we bring God to the world? How do we present God to the world? Um, to bring up a, a question that I asked in my sermon a couple weeks ago, um, drawing from our mission statement, how do we live as the very presence of Jesus, Jesus being God? How do we live as the presence of Jesus in the places where he's called us? How do we do this? This passage gives us something of, of, of a guide for that. How do we bring God to the world? There's an if, a startling if in verse, in verse 5 here. Um, there's a conditional sense. He says, now, therefore, after, he's, after I've saved you, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
you shall be a treasure possession, kingdom of priests, on all these future things, if you indeed obey my voice. Um, how do we do it? It has to do with this in, obey, indeed obey my voice. So in our English translation, it says, if you will indeed obey my voice. And we don't, probably don't use the word indeed very much. Uh, the, what our English translation is, is trying to bring out with this word indeed is just uh, emphasis, like focus on this. And if you look at the original language here, it's actually a verb form where the, the, the word of the verb is just appears twice in a row. Which if I say it like as it was in the original language, you can kind of start to get the, the point here. Um, if you obey, obey my voice. And the word for obey is, again, you obey voice. The word for obey is the same as the word listen in, in the original language. If you listen, listen to my voice, you will be kingdom of priests. Um, if you will listen, listen to my voice, you will be a people of priests in the river wards, or wherever God's called you. Um, how do we live as God? How do we present God to the world? It's through that. It's through listening to Him. It's through keeping His covenant. It's obeying, listening to God's commands. It's through knowing where we came from, from Him, as I just talked about with the people of Israel. It's through knowing to whom we belong. Uh, we belong to God. Um, do you know why? In uh, sister uh, tradition stars where, where they have priests, do you, you may have noticed that, that priests wear clerical collars. I'm sure you've seen this, at least in the movies. Um, why do Christian churches, why do priests wear clerical collars? It marks them off as slaves. Slaves. It's like a, it's like a, a, a lock of, like a, of, of one who is enslaved. Enslaved to, to God. We belong to God. We're set aside for God. Um, and that, that's like a freaky image, isn't it? It sounds scary. Uh, but in his service, in God's service, is perfect freedom. Um, we'll be enslaved to something. Um, we may as well be enslaved to, to the one who makes us whole, to the one who loves us, who has all joy and peace and hope and love within himself, who's the fountain of all these things. To present God to the world, to be a people of mission, to be a kingdom of priests, we have to be anchored to God. We have to be anchored to his spirit and prayer. We have to be anchored to his word. We have to be anchored to his sacraments. Um, we have to be anchored to his people, the church. Also not a fun one. Uh, there's a, this, this ancient uh, creed, which uh, we haven't said in our service very much, but it's Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed, uh, which is just this, going back to the first centuries of the church, something that Christians have been confessing for a long time, is just a summary of what they believe. One line is, I, I believe, like people confess, I believe in the, I believe in the church. Like there's something to be, to be anchoring ourselves to here in the people of God as the body of Christ. That's presenting God to the world. Listen, listen to my voice, he says. What about presenting the world to God? I'm going to spend a bit more time talking about this one, about how to be a kingdom of priests who do the priestly function of presenting the world to God. Uh, there, there are a few different biblical ways of capturing this idea of presenting the world uh, to God, but one kind of plain one is the idea of sacrifice, uh, which is sacrifice is, is pretty central in the Old Testament and what it means to be a priest. Consider how sacrifice would work in the Old, Old Testament, right? Or consider something like a grain offering, okay? So like a farmer would be out, and he would 
through his labors, he'd draw, you know, grains from all these different parts of the field through his labor. He'd bind it together, and he would take the first fruits, the best that he had, and then he would take it and he would offer it up to God. That's kind of the basis, the basic, like, how sacrifice works. Uh, some sacrifices involve the shedding of blood. Not all of them do. Um, and that's, that, that, that's bringing the world, think about it, going out, taking it, bringing the world, and offering it up to God. Um, and how does this, you know, what, what does this mean for us, our priestly vocation, for the people of Israel, for us? The first and the first and most important sacrifice that we bring here every week in worship and pretty much every time you come before God um, is ourselves, is ourselves. Uh, here's a, a passage from Romans 12. Uh, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, I appeal to you, bro- therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, The way that we present the world to God, first off, uh, it begins with us offering ourselves up to God. Just in the same way as like the farmer goes out, gathers the grain, brings it, offers it up to God. So we offer even our own, ourselves, our own very bodies up to God. Um, And if we do that, and like this offering up of sacrifice, like sometimes, you know, the the sacrifices are, you know, the the blood is shed and there's, it feels like there's a death in it. Um, There's definitely a surrender, a giving up. Um, But also there's a sense with sacrifice of it's offering the things of the world to God so that God can make them whole, so that God can take them and fit them into his plan for the world. And that's what we do when we offer up ourselves to God. Um, we, 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 we offer up our desires to him so that we can be truly free. Uh, we offer up our, our money, our things that we have. We're, all, we're called to give generously. Again, that image of like the farmer taking the grain. We go out, we work in the world, we take the, we, you know, God provides these things for us. We labor we time together and we offer up gifts to God. Uh, we offer up our time that way give generously. This is the life of a priest, bringing the world to God. Our friendships, we should be setting our friendships and offering to God in the way that, in which he would order them, which probably means being friends with some of the people we're not supposed to be friends with. Even our intellect, our ideas. How are our ideas, our politics, our plans for the future being offered up to God to be made whole by him, the one who makes all things whole? And even as Paul said in Romans, our very bodies, our bodies are not our own, our sexuality is not our own, but these are things to be sacrificed, to be laid before God for him to order as he would, as he would ask. This is the same God who says, listen, listen to my voice. And every time we give up these things, it will feel like sacrifice, right? And many of, and, uh, many of us in this room, we know this. It'll feel like surrender, like self-denial. But because God is good, he actually takes the things that we offer um, of ourselves, the things that we offer from the world, and he orders them according to how they should be. Um, God is the one who will make the world whole, who is making it whole through Jesus by his spirit. Um, he takes what is disintegrated in the world, what is fragmented and all over the place in our hearts and in the world. And he integrates it into what it's designed to be. This is what God does. 
He takes what's alienated, what's far apart, what's in conflict, and he brings reconciliation and wholeness. And it's our privilege uh, to bring things to God, to see how he's going to make the world whole and make us whole. Um, and this posture, this, that, that's a priestly posture, taken from the world and offering things up to God. Um, this priestly posture is the same posture I think we should have uh, towards our loved ones and neighbors. This is part of the calling to be a priest, I think, according to this passage. Um, the people of Israel, there are other passages that are emphasized this more than others, uh, more than this one, but they have, they're supposed to have like an outward focus toward the nations. Um, they're supposed to be a, a people um, that are a light to the, war, to the nations. Uh, this priestly posture we should have towards our loved ones and neighbors. Not that we would sacrifice them, of course, uh, but that we would offer those whom we love to God to be made whole. Um, for him to reorder and, and, and for him to reorder them. Uh, the primary way we do this, the primary like way we serve as priests, of course, is in prayer, right? Um, is praying for someone whom we love, is offering that person to God to be because he can make them whole in ways that we simply can't. Our neighbors, um, our friends. Um, consider thinking about like this priestly posture, bringing the world to God. Consider how we, for example, would could parent differently if we viewed ourselves fundamentally as, as priests. This is an application of this text I heard one time. Um, if we were bringing our kids to God. Uh, whenever a child uh, disobeys, um, a priest could see it not only, not fundamentally, as just defying my parental authority as a contest of egos, but as a unique opportunity in the child's disobedience to bring the child to God. Um, do children uh, sometimes disobey uh, because they are sinners? Do they disobey because they're sinners? Yes. Yes, they do. Uh, but also children, they disobey because they need, like you do, like I do, they need for God to make them whole. Which is something we can't fix. And all the parents in the, the, the room can, sh can shout amen to that. Whether your parents are 2, 12, 22, 32, we can't make our kids whole. But disobedience can perhaps be a chance to bring our, chil our children to God. Uh, the priestly parent comes alongside the child as he or she learns and points him towards, toward God, presents the child to God um, in, in a, the patient posture of a priest. Um, and one way I try to do this, like presenting my children to God in our own home, is I try to, like the, our very short not fancy at all time of like family devotions at the end of every night um, where we just read a Bible story and uh, thank God for things, repent of things, ask for forgiveness of each other, ask for things of God, and, that's pretty, and say the Lord's Prayer, and that's pretty much it. But I, we, I really try and view that time as a time where I'm offering my kids up to God for like the, the, the God to disciple my kids by his spirit in like this kind of holy set apart time. Consider how being a priest would impact our parenting. Uh, consider how a priestly posture like this of, of humbly offering um, the world to bring to God, how it would affect uh, the ways that we invite our friends and neighbors to church or our relationships with them um, if we took the posture of priests. Um, do our friends, do our neighbors, uh, do, uh, just like us in this room, uh, do, do they avoid God, do they avoid church um, because they're sinners? Yes, yes. But people, human beings, are also, they also live with all kinds of complicated and fractured hopes, dreams, desires, 
ambitions. People are just so deep. This is something I've thought about, like, us being made in the image of God. Like, just as, like, there's no lack of depth, there's no bottom to God. Um, In the same way with people, like, people are so profound. And there's so much going on with every single person that you make eye contact with. The priest recognizes this, comes alongside the neighbor, the friend, the loved one, and seeks patiently for all those persons' longings to be made whole in God. Do we believe that our neighbors' lives, that our friends' lives, that our our loved ones' lives would be made more whole? Certainly not easier, but may be made more whole, more integrated if they followed Christ. Great example, this is from our confession text. Friends who, who are doing this, offering the world up to God, offering their friend to God. The friends who, drew, who like cut a hole in a ceiling with their paralytic friend to clear out a way for their friend to come before the one who heals, before Jesus, before God. I think if we truly, if we truly do this, if we live in this kind of priestly way, there are times to speak words in season, like sometimes uh, talking about friendship and being a priest and having a mission like this is just an excuse to like not say, occasionally say hard things. Um, I don't think, but I don't think that the, that, that is assumed in this at all. Um, I, I just think that uh, there's this, there's this, this saying uh, in like, in like the Christian study of like missiology, like how to be on mission, how to like, how to share the gospel with those who don't believe where it says what you win them through is what you win them to. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that before. And basically in that, there's this idea of like, you know, if we are trying to, if we're trying to, to share the faith with those whom we love, trying to offer, you know, those up to God, if we present the faith fundamentally as like, just pray this like five second prayer and then everything's done, then like we shouldn't be surprised that like five seconds after they pray the five second prayer, you know, that they've, they've forgotten it. Um, I think a priestly posture which win them, what win them through is which win them to, is, is, is longing to win those whom we love to the faith in a, way, in a manner that is patient, prayerful, endures suffering, is resilient, and is filled with life, and is looking to God. Like, this is the way through which we, we want to, to appeal to our neighbors. Um, how do we learn to do this? How do we learn to do this? Um, so often, for me, I could tell you, like, the, the kind of patience and boldness required for this kind of vocation, being a priest, offering the world to God, thinking of those whom I love. Um, It's smashed by my own ego, my own fears, my own desires. To whom do we turn? We turn, of course, uh, to Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. Jesus Christ is the, he fulfills this, this, this passage. Jesus, he's the one who serves as the only mediator between God and man. He is the only one who's the mediator between the heavens and the earth. Uh, Jesus is the the priest who presented God to the world, quite literally, quite literally, he presented God to the world. He was God made flesh. Um, You remember the the listen, listen to my voice. Jesus did that. He listened to the voice of the Father. He kept the covenant, um, the same covenant that Israel and us only profane and break. And Jesus also presents the world to God. Did you hear the, this refrain in verse 5? All the earth is mine. That's what God says. It's like, why, why should you obey him? All the earth is mine. Why are you going to be a nation of priests? All the, all the earth is mine. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he, like, there, he made a way for us to come to God. He forgave us. He, we're cleansed of his sins. Um, and uh, 
Yes. But us being brought, as persons being brought to God through his cross and resurrection is part of a bigger picture, uh, which is that through Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, his, his being seated at the right hand of the Father, through these things, um, the Father has put all things under Christ's lordship, under his authority. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that he upholds the word by the, by the he upholds the, upholds the universe by the word of his power. He, Jesus says at the end of Matthew, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And what does he do with his authority? What is Jesus doing now? Like right now, what is Jesus doing? He serves as a priest. He's at the right hand of God, offering the world to the Father. He's, it's the, the, the Bible says that he is, he is be present before God on our behalf. He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. Through Jesus' cross, the world can be cleansed, brought to God, and made whole. Um, and now we who seek to live in Christ, who follow Christ, not only have we been given access to God, to offering the world up to God, not only have we been given access, but we've been filled with the same spirit which, which was in Christ. The same spirit um, that um, enabled him to do these things, the same um, and, and through him, we have, we have, we have, we're just filled with unbelievable power that I, that I don't know how to access all the time myself. And I'm growing in knowing how to walk by the Spirit. God's power, the power of that Jesus, our great high priest, it's in us, and it's, often, it's almost always through our weakness and our repentance. Again, considering the, like the, this image of offering things up. And through God's power, through our weakness and repentance, we're far more ready to serve as priests in the world than we know or usually want to admit. So I just, I would just commend to you all uh, to serve as a kingdom of priests today. You know how you can do it? Pray, like offer up someone whom you love to God in prayer at the, t the communion table today. Or maybe if there's a part of yourself which you are trying to like, you're just like walling off from bringing before the God who makes all things whole. And of course, that bringing that thing to God to the one who makes things whole will probably be painful. <laughs> is there a part that you're keeping away from him? Is there a part of way that you're not serving as a priest and you're saying, oh, this part doesn't have anything to do with you, the one who says that all the earth is mine? Maybe offer that up to him this morning. We're called to more than just fulfilling our desires. We're called to be a kingdom of priests, um, to listen, listen to God, to present God to the world and to bring, present the world to God. So I'll end with this. This is a verse, for our, 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 a verse after everyone's favorite verse, John 3, 17. Um, the Apostle John wrote this verse, and the Apostle John knew plenty um, about, he had no qualms about the depth of human evil in the world and the evil in the world. But he says this. He says this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.